and we are going to be in Genesis 45 to begin with, but also in Genesis 50. So we are landing the Genesis plane today. Um, it's been a great joy to travel through Genesis with you all. I know that we haven't hit every story or every detail, but um, hopefully uh, we've studied enough together to get the, the gist of it, and then hopefully it has whet your appetite to, to read it. Especially today, we're, we're at the tail end of the story, but particularly the story about the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And in chapter 45, it's the end of that uh, chapters 42 through 43 uh, adventure of the brothers uh, meeting Joseph and all of the, he's kind of playing it cool, not going to reveal who he is. Um, he sends them back. That, that whole story is so fascinating. You need to read it if you haven't uh, in a while. Um, but we're going to be at the end of that where Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. And, uh, and then we're going to skip ahead 17 years later to chapter 50. And um, let's, uh, let's do that. Would you stand with me and hear the word of the God who loves you? We're going to start in Genesis 45. And then go to chapter 50. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. You can imagine. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor, har nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. 
For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all, of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then imagine this. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. And now, fast forward 17 years later to the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. Jacob has died. All of Egypt has mourned. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, <coughs> would you help us now here in these stories? Um, that you have preserved for us, would you help us see your heart for us? And would you give us your heart for each other and our neighbors and the nations and the next generation? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I want to get right to it. I have three questions that I want us to consider this morning. Question number one, why does forgiveness get the last word in Genesis? Question number two, what does forgiveness look like? And question number three, how can we forgive like Joseph forgave? I found it curious as I was trying to understand how to land this Genesis plane and wrap it up, and I came to this last chapter in chapter 50, and it was as if a spotlight fell on this section that I just read in verses 15 to 21. It stands out. Now, there's, 
just a little bit more that describes Joseph dying and reminding his brothers and their children, God is going to visit you again. He's going to bring you up out of Egypt, and I want you to take my bones with you when you go. But the real showstopper spotlight is right here on this final uh, story of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. The spotlight is on forgiveness. And in fact, in verse 17, the word forgive is used twice um, in English. It's not in Genesis anywhere else. The Hebrew word is, but it's used in a different way. When, when this word is used, when uh, this word is used in connection with sin, whether and, and in this translation it's called transgression, this word means to forgive. But what the word actually means is to lift up, um, to bear up something, to carry away a burden. And that is a beautiful description of what forgiveness is. It's to carry away and lift up a burden. And it fits with how Jesus described forgiveness in the parable that we read from Matthew 18 a little while ago. Remember, the servant owed his king, today's equivalent of $400 billion, but he forgave the debt and released him from the responsibility to pay it back. But that didn't mean the debt just disappeared into thin air. If uh, Brian loaned me, if I loaned Brian my car and he totaled it um, and he couldn't pay it, pay me for it, then I would have to absorb that debt. I would either have to go without a car or replace it. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that forgiveness is absorbing. The, the king absorbed that debt himself. He lifted that immeasurable debt off of his servant and carried it away on his own shoulders. 10,000 years worth of work. The king bore it himself. That's what forgiveness is. And so I was curious, why, why this spotlight on forgiveness here at the end of Genesis? And as I studied and pondered it this week and prayed about it, this is what came to me. Go back to the very beginning of Genesis. Go back to the very beginning of the story. What started the relational strife that we see all throughout Genesis? It was Adam and Eve's rejection of God. They rejected their relationship with God, and the immediate fruit of that in Genesis chapter 4 is one of their sons kills his brother. So this animosity between brothers has been there from the beginning, but it all started with Adam and Eve becoming enemies of God. And now God ends Genesis with this amazing story of forgiveness, and it's unlike any else we've seen in Genesis. You just don't see this kind of forgiveness anywhere else in the book. God ends Genesis this way, I believe, to show us that he will make sure that forgiveness has the final word. God will reverse all that Adam and Eve set into motion by forgiveness. Rebellion against God will have lots to say in the history of the world from Genesis on. But reconciliation to God 
will have the final word. Romans 8 even says that um, forgiveness has an impact on the creation itself. Paul says that all creation is groaning and waiting for the day when our forgiveness, our adoption as sons and daughters, will be finally and fully ours. And then the creation will experience the freedom that we experience. The creation will have hope for its restoration. So, friends, the renewal of all things that we love depends on and hinges on forgiveness getting the final word in the story of God. The story he's telling about himself and about us and about all that he's made. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all nations. And that's what they did. And that's why we're here. So, Forgiveness is um, the final word God has. So I want to ask us to think about this for a minute. Where, where have you seen forgiveness make a difference in your life, in your family, in your workplace, um, at school, in your community? What would forgiveness do to Walden Ridge? What would forgiveness do to Chattanooga? What would forgiveness do to the anger and animosity in our own nation these days if it was let loose to run rampant? What if we continued to become together a family that forgives and we invite others on this mountain to join us? to get into that forgiveness with us, the forgiveness that we receive from our Father and that we give to each other. Picture that. We would be a part of what God is doing to unravel what Adam and Eve did and to renew all things. So that's question number one. Why does forgiveness get the final word in Genesis? Question two is what does forgiveness look like in Joseph's story? And this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time. Um, Because we actually see Joseph modeling for us what Jesus taught about forgiveness. Jesus taught that forgiveness has an internal dimension and a horizontal dimension. Something has to happen internally in our hearts before we can horizontally offer forgiveness to those ask for it. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, internally, in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said this, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. That's something internally has to happen. When we stand in prayer with God, he says, forgive anyone that has anything against you. Jesus is asking us, telling us, to stand before God, wrestle with him in prayer over what we have against that one that sinned against us, and work out forgiveness internally with his help. Then we'll be ready to work it out horizontally with the one who sinned against us, if and when the opportunity comes to do that. It may not. It may take 17 years. 
So there's Jesus talking about this internal dimension of before God, forgiving the one with whom you have an offense. And then Jesus talks about the horizontal aspect of forgiveness. In Luke 17, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. Now, a lot of folks look to this passage and say, uh, forgiveness only happens when that person repents and asks for forgiveness. But we've just seen that Jesus said, no, forgiveness starts somewhere else. And it, it has nothing to do with whether the person asks for it. But here, he's talking about, if this person repents, forgive. It may be that the one who sinned against you will never repent or ask for your forgiveness. But Jesus is saying that if they do, you must be ready to do so. Offering forgiveness horizontally assumes you've already been working with God in prayer internally to forgive. And this is what we see in these two passages we've read about. Joseph and his brothers today. Uh, in Genesis 45, we see Joseph having worked out internally his forgiveness of his brothers. Um, his words and his actions show that he'd already forgiven his brothers in his heart. There were two things he did not do and two things that he did do to show that he'd already forgiven. First of all, he did not minimize what they'd done to him. Verse 5, he said to them, you sold me here. He didn't just say, oh, this is no problem. You know, don't worry about it. No, you sold me here. Imagine, imagine all that Joseph went through. He was sold. He was a victim of human trafficking. He was sold into slavery, and it changed the course of his life. And again and again, he suffered because of what his brothers did to him. But he didn't minimize that with them. He was very honest. He said, you sold me here. Second thing he did not do, he did not desire to pay them back or get revenge. Again, in verse 5, he says, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. How in the world could he invite them not to be distressed or angry with themselves over what they had done to him? Only because he had gotten to a place where he was no longer distressed or angry with them over what they had done done to him. He was asking them to do to themselves what he had already done. He had already released his own distress and anger with them. He had the position and the power to make them pay, but he didn't do it. And that's remarkable. Well, two things he did do. He did desire to use his position and power to bless them. Verses 9, and 11, 9 through 11 in chapter 45, jo Joseph told them to tell their father, come down to me, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me 
you and your children, that's his brothers, and your children's children. He says, there I will provide for you so that you and your household, includes all of his brothers, so that you all do not come to poverty. He desired to bless them with the power and position that he had, not to punish them. And then he did move toward them relationally. Verses 14 and 15, it says, he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and you would expect that. Benjamin wasn't a part of this deal. But what did he do with the brothers who sold him into slavery? He kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. He moved toward them. And all of this was without them asking for forgiveness. Something had gone on internally in Joseph's heart to forgive them. Joseph did what Paul would later exhort every Christian to do when they are wronged by others. Romans 12. Listen to this in light of what Joseph did. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. This is Joseph. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Joseph showed by his words and his actions that he had internally come to a place wrestling with God to a place where he could forgive his brothers. And he acted toward them as if he had forgiven them. Well, the horizontal piece came 17 years later when they actually asked for forgiveness. Since Joseph had already forgiven them internally, he was already acting like that. And then verses 15 and to 21 of chapter 50, let me read it for us again. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, we have no record of Jacob saying this message to the brothers to send to Joseph. And some commentators think they were lying, but there's no, there's, there's nothing in the text that tells us they were lying either. So it is what it is, but it describes where their heart was. And, and they go on, and now this is them talking. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father. They're asking. They're repenting. And Joseph's response, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
he was moved to tears because after 17 years of kindness to them, they still did not trust that he had forgiven them. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Now, there is some instruction here for us when it comes to how to ask for forgiveness, how to repent uh, personally. First of all, don't excuse it. Call it what it is. That's what Joseph did when he, for, when he offered forgiveness from his heart. He said what it was, um, and they did too. They said, please forgive the transgression. Uh, transgression is a word that the Hebrew uses several words to describe sin. Transgression is one of them, and it means to break off a relationship, and it's a very serious word, even a criminal offense against someone. Please forgive our transgression and our sin. And this is the Old Testament's principal word for sin. It means to miss the mark, to fall short of a standard. And their father said, and they were agreeing by sending this message, they did evil to you. This is an intentionally act. And so this is a different way. This is different than saying, I'm sorry that you were hurt or offended by what I did or said. I'm sorry that you were hurt or offended. This is, this is owning what they did to hurt him, owning that it broke the relationship, owning that it fell short of what God required of them. So when we are personally repenting and asking for forgiveness, we, we call our sin what it is and don't make excuses. Secondly, we recognize that we are ultimately accountable to God for what we did. In verse 17, they called themselves the servants of the God of your father. Similar to what David said when he prayed in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Third, in humility, we move toward the one we've sinned against. In verse 18, it says that Joseph's brothers came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. In humility, they move toward him. And then... Joseph's internal forgiveness expressed itself horizontally to them in response to their plea for forgiveness. He wept. He longed for his brothers to know his forgiveness. He longed for them to know that his forgiveness was the final word in their reconciliation with him. Joseph addressed their fear, assuring them that they were forgiven. He said it twice, do not fear you don't have anything to be afraid of with me. Joseph recommitted himself to blessing them. He said, I will provide for you and your little ones. And in Hebrew, this I, the word I is emphatic. He says, I myself will provide for you and for your children. He's re recommitting himself to bless them. And then he recommitted himself to move toward them relationally. He comforted them. And he spoke kindly to them. So when we think about this internal forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness, I'm, I'm curious, who do you need to forgive today? 
you, you, you knew we'd get here. I've had to think about it myself this week. Internally, who do you need to spend some time with God this week talking to him about what it means to forgive someone who's wronged you? And now, I understand that some of you are probably thinking, you don't, you don't know. You don't know my story. You don't understand the depth to which I have been damaged by what this person has done for me. And I don't. I don't. I'm only familiar with the damage that's been done to me. And I can tell you that it's horrible. But friends, Jesus knows. He knows. He knows. And he's asking you to wrestle with him. To come to him and wrestle with him over what it might look like and you may never have the opportunity to horizontally uh, offer forgiveness to someone who repents and asks for it. They may be dead. They may never, ever ask for it. But he wants to do something in you about it. Joseph is... The stellar forgiver, isn't he? How in the world would we ever be able to do what he's done? In order to forgive Joseph, to forgive like Joseph, we have to have the resources that Joseph had to forgive. We have to have the resources that Joseph had that melted his heart and moved him toward his brother. And so the final question is, how can, how, how can we forgive like that? How can we ever forgive like Joseph did? Well, in chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, Joseph shows us where he got those resources. This is what he said. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, I left it out earlier, but Joseph said a very similar thing back in chapter 45. He said in, in verse 5 of 45, Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. In verses in 7 and 8, he said, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all his house and ruler of the land of Egypt. God sent me here. What you meant for evil, God has meant for good so that many lives would be preserved. Joseph is showing us that the resources he needed in order to forgive internally and horizontally were found vertically in God. There was something about this God that inspired and empowered Joseph to forgive in this unbelievable way. What was it? What was it? Well, as we think back over all that we've seen in Genesis since the last October. 
we can hear echoes of Joseph's statement, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. It's an echo, I believe, of what God promised the serpent in Genesis 3 and what he promised Abraham in Genesis 15. God promised the serpent in Genesis 3 essentially this, there will come from the womb of a woman one whose heel you you will bruise when he crushes your head. You will do evil to him, but it will turn out for the good of crushing evil and saving many. I hear that echo in what Joseph is saying. God promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. Remember when Abraham was told by God to split the animals, cut them in two, and God himself passed through the animals to say that if you or I break this covenant, Abraham, you or your people or I break this covenant, may it be done to me what has been done to these animals. May I be torn apart and bleed. And he took Abraham and his descendants curse upon himself to do that. And so God was promising him, even if you or your people break covenant with me, I will take this curse on myself. I will, play, I will pay the bloodstained penalty for your sin against me. Your guilt will be paid for by my innocent blood. What you mean for evil will ultimately enact my promise to do good, forgiving the sins of many and preserving the lives of those who belong to me. I hear echoes of that promise to Abraham in the words of Joseph. And those two promises are one promise. God himself would come, born of a woman, and torn on a cross. What was done to Jesus was the most unspeakable evil in the history of the world, but at the same time, it was history's most unbreakable good. And Peter described this well when he preached in Acts chapter in Acts chapter two. He said, "What what we meant for evil against God, crucifying the innocent Son of God, God meant for good to us." This is what he said: Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you know yourselves. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is God meaning for good. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's them meaning for evil. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then in another message in in the next chapter of Acts, Peter says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, they meant, it for, they meant it for evil. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. God meant it for good. And this is the response he asks. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send you the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Friends, This God is the one who empowered Joseph to forgive evil and do good to those who did it to him. Because his God is that kind of God. Joseph rested in and relied upon the God who turned the greatest evil humans have ever done and used it to the greatest good he could do for them. 
to forgive them, to reconcile them to himself. And so do you know, do you know that forgiveness? Have you confessed to him the evil you have done to him? And have you received from him the good of the grace and forgiveness that he offers to you in Jesus? I hope you have. If you haven't, you can do it today. And I would love to talk to you about it. But I want to close with um, thinking about what this looks like uh, in our lives. Um, someone asked me this week, they called me and said, look, I've got I've to go to a gathering later this week that celebrates someone who hurt me deeply. And I need you to pray for me. I, I know I need to forgive them, but I don't know what. This is going to be hard. And so I, I shared with them these thoughts, this idea of vertical forgiveness of God, internal forgiveness by the power of God, and horizontal forgiveness by the power of God, which I get those words. That's Tim Keller, by the way. He just, uh, one of his latest books is called Forgive. You, you got to read it. It's powerful and does a great job of explaining biblical forgiveness and how to do it. Um, as I was explaining to my friend uh, these concepts, uh, they thought, wow, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I can, I can do that. And I said, well, uh, I said, have you heard the, the phrase, fake it till you feel it? And they said, yeah, it's always kind of bothered me a little bit because I can't fake it. I said, well, I get that, but even if you can't fake it, it should bother you because it's not biblical. Um, We should instead say and think and live, faith it whether we feel it or not. What What do I mean in the context of forgiving someone. Um, Faith is a dependence on the God who has forgiven us $400 billion worth of what we have sinned against him. Faith is believing and trusting that we are so forgiven by him that we are free, that we are free, and no evil that is done to us can erase the good that he's done for us. And we can rest in him. And we can believe because of Christ living in us, we have the spirit of that Jesus who forgave and rose from the dead. We have that spirit living in us and we can trust that the one who loved his enemies better than any of us ever has lives in us to empower us to love ours and to forgive. And so, go to your party, and don't pretend that you love this person. Don't pretend to be nice to them, hoping that one day you'll feel nice to them, because you probably won't. Um, Go to that party, and by faith in the one who lives in you, the Spirit of Jesus, love them as he would love them. Treat them as he would treat them. Um, 
and work with him in private, in prayer, in the scriptures, over your inability to forgive. Wrestle with him over it. Do that internal work of forgiveness. It may take time. The deeper the wound, the longer it may take. But keep working with God over it. Keep resting in and reveling in the forgiveness he's given you, and it will, it will overwhelm you, and it will change your heart, and it will soften you, and he will empower you to eventually forgive. And then if that person one day has a clue and realizes what they've done, and they ask you to forgive, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. But don't wait till you feel it. Talk to God about why you don't. And faith it, whether you feel it or not. Part of what we're trusting, friends, is that this table says to us and pictures for us the very heart that Joseph had for his brothers. I, I read these verses in chapter 50 about Joseph's reaction to his brother's still believing that he hated them and might turn on them. His reaction was that he wept. He wept. After 17 years of me showing you this kindness, do you still not know my heart? And I wonder sometimes if that's how Jesus responds to me and my doubt that I'm really forgiven, my doubt that his heart is really for me, that he weeps and grieves that I still don't believe it. And then I hear Joseph's, I hear Jesus' voice in Joseph's when he says to his brothers, and Jesus says to me, do not fear. And then Joseph said to his brothers, for am I in the place of God? But Jesus says to me, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. And my forgiveness has had the final word in your life. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do not fear. And Jesus says to me, and he says to you, because he's forgiven you, he says, I will provide for you. I will provide for your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Friends, this table this morning is Jesus comforting you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. This is Jesus speaking kindly to you. Come to me and don't be afraid. I love you. You're forgiven. Father, would you help us to hear the voice of Jesus in, in this table this morning? To hear the reassurance that he has forgiven a debt that we would never, ever, ever be able to pay. And he has promised to be with us and in us to wrestle with us over what it would mean to forgive people who have done so little in comparison, although it's torturous to us. Lord Jesus, this table this table, we meant it for evil, but you meant it for good.
Thank you. Amen.